This is the bulldozer Matt Tremont, the most decorated, retired deathmatch wrestler of all time. And you are listening to the one and only Insider's Edge Wrestling Podcast. Has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California and Fury. Great to be with you here tonight. And it's exciting for me to be interviewing uh, here tonight because I'm finally getting... I'm finally getting in there and, and, and speaking to some of these CZW guys. This is the first time I'm going to get the chance to talk to somebody that certainly is a legend in the sport of deathmatch style pro wrestling. He has the distinction of being the only wrestler to win all the major American deathmatch tournaments. I'm talking about Tournament of Death, Masters of Pain, and the King of the Deathmatch. And he won that twice. He's often referred to as the Grand Slam champion of deathmatch, former GCW and CZW World Heavyweight Champion, the bulldozer Matt Tremont. How are you going, my friend? I'm good, brother. Thank you for having me. No worries, bro. Uh, real excited to chat to you here today. And the first question, as usual, Matt, on the show is, how did you become a wrestling fan when you were a young man? Oh, man, uh, probably about nine or ten years old is when I started uh, watching wrestling. And, uh, you know, typical WWF, WCW, ECW in the height of the Monday Night Wars and just was engulfed in it as a uh, as a child. And then later in my Teenage years would uh, come across independent wrestling, deathmatch wrestling. And uh, from, you know, I, I knew from about 13, 14 years old, uh, this was uh, all I wanted to do and, and all I was into. Right, cool, bro. Yeah, I mean, I guess you, you must have really found ECW to be a, a company that you that tickled your fancy, I suppose you could say. Uh, as time wears on as a wrestling fan, uh, at what point do you decide? I guess with your friends to to maybe start doing a bit of backyard wrestling with a promotion that you called EZW. Yeah, yeah uh, mainly. I mean, mo- most of the the roster consisted of basically just me and my and my younger brother at times, because uh, <laughs> we didn't have too many uh, not too many wrestling fans I knew at the time. Uh, we later would find a few more um, over the years, but uh, yeah, did the backyard wrestling, you know, just like everybody for uh, you know quite a number of years uh, as a teenager and then i would get to the point where uh you know i'm like this is fun but uh, i want to you know i want to do this for real and make a make a go at it and uh left the backyard and uh went hopped on the other side of the proverbial guardrail (laughs) cool bro so did you take that backyard group and turn it into a pro group is that kind of how the story went yeah my uh first ever my introduction into the business uh, was in, you know, 2006 and in going into 2007, uh, promoted an event on in January of 07 uh, and under the backyard label EZW, uh, ran at a karate dojo in Mays Landing, New Jersey, and the show had backyarders on it, pro guys on it. And something you don't aren't supposed to do, you know. <laughs> I didn't know the do's and the don'ts at the time, and uh, 
But uh, if there was a positive out of it, it was, you know, a little, the, the dojo probably had about a hundred people when, you know, we filled the place and it was, it was that, that show where I would meet my later trainer, uh, prime time Amy Lee that night and uh, would then start to train with her uh, from that point on. And uh, man, re re rest is history after that. <laughs> <laughs> cool, bro. So I uh, was training with uh, Amy, could you tell me what's the biggest thing that you know you took away from that and what did you what would you be like a lesson that you learned from her that you that you kept with you i i think man just uh respect uh discipline structure um you know just no nonsense you know i i had a at the time i was you know 17 and i had an eyebrow piercing in and i had a uh a couple other i had an a ear piercing in and uh, as soon as i got in the ring uh, she said, uh, take them out. And from that day on, I never put them back in. And, uh, you know, she just, uh, no nonsense. She was trained by Dick Murdoch. So that right. just goes, that goes to tell you just right there. So, you know, she's the, one of the toughest ladies in the world. Uh, she's my uh, wrestling mother and, uh, you know, just instilled a lot of uh, good and, uh, you know, good, good morals and respect in me. That's cool, bro. Um, so what was it about, I mean, wanting to focus a lot of your career on the hardcore style. And it's, it's not even just hardcore. It's to push the envelope into that ultra violence. You know what I mean? What was it about that, that really drew you in? Man, I just think overall was just the, I've always been enamored with uh, the story and uh, characters and, you know, the, over the top not a not a violent person at all uh don't like watching horror movies don't like like blood and violence but i just something about hardcore wrestling and the genre itself that i just enjoyed and uh you know it was just a different uh di a different genre a different art and a different canvas uh to paint and you know sometimes mine was uh, a little bloodier than others <laughs> <laughs> um so you know, early on in your career, you, you end up joining Combat Zone Wrestling. I just want to know how that opportunity came about. Um, and obviously your first outing on the 11th of June, 2011, at a prelude to Violence 2 at the Asylum Arena in Philly uh, uh, for uh, a match against Piggy Sanchez. Uh, my, my story is uh, universally sound and known because of one man, and that is Danny Havoc. Uh, you know, he's a, a good friend of mine, a better part of 10 years. And, uh, you know, everything in life happens for a reason. And one thing always happens uh, into the next. And I would I, I would meet a, a friend that was a friend of a CCW referee. Uh, and that would give me an opportunity at a smaller promotion in New Jersey. That would then lead to Carnage Cup in, in Alabama, where I wrestled Danny Havoc for the first time in my first death match, uh, you know, professionally. And because of that match going the way it did and, you know, Danny uh, enjoying what I did, saw something in me as a, uh, you know, a young upstart in the death match world, though at that point in time was already was, was three, four years in the business already. Uh, but I, I, I was a nobody. I had no name value. And you know, became friends, took a liking to me, took me under his wing, him, Devin Moore, uh, that whole, you know, that whole crew and uh, would put me in contact with DJ Hyde. And in, I think February, 2011 was when I first went 
uh, backstage at the ECW arena instead of buying a ticket and walking through the front door. I was walking around back and coming through the back door, met DJ High, got acclimated with the with the roster. Um, and I, I was an outside guy coming in. You know, they were like, who the hell is this kid that just literally came out of nowhere? Meanwhile, there were guys there still waiting to get an opportunity that trained there. And, you know, I, the, as the years go by, I find out I was not too fond of when I first came in because, uh, you know, they're like, you know, who the hell is this kid? But because of Danny Havoc and and, and a few others, uh, you know, I my dream job was CZW and he, uh, you know, built that bridge for me to get in there. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, if you, you're coming in and, and you, I mean, you find out later down the line that this is how some of the guys were feeling. Uh, talk about having to prove yourself right out of the gate there, especially on the 25th of June, 2011, uh, working with Necro Butcher in a water jugs and bats match and uh, Masada in a fucking, I don't know how to pronounce it. Is it Kenzans or Kenzans? Yes. Kenzans, uh, yes. Kenzans and whips and anything else we can fucking find, match. <laughs> Talk about having to prove yourself out of the gate. But are you, are you crazy? This this Kenzan thing is that is that is some crazy shit, bro. Uh, it's uh, it's not pleasant. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I've been fortunate my entire career, and when I when I look back on it, uh, very thankful because uh, things were set into place. And I had the support of the fan base since day one. You know, I, I literally hopped the guardrail from the very corner I sat on at the ECW arena uh, when I debuted and beating Pinky Sanchez. And then two weeks later, I'm in tournament of death, um, defeating Necro Butcher and then facing Masada. So, you know, right <laughs> off right off the bat, was doing good for myself. Absolutely, bro. How was it trying to get one of those Kenzans pulled out of your head? Uh, it sucked. I <laughs> <laughs> can imagine, bro. Uh, so here's a big one. Uh, you know, it's uh, the 21st of July 2012, IWA East Coast Masters of Pain. Uh, you win the tournament after working with Devin Moore, Danny Havoc, and Masada. Uh, so this is a pretty big moment early on in the career. You win your first big tournament. Um, I want to ask, uh, does a deathmatch tournament day does that you know? Does that feel different to you than than a regular show? Do you, when you wake up that morning and you know that you're about to do this, do you kind of feel like atmosphere is in the air and history is about to be made? Uh, I mean, especially for that first one, yeah, that was. Uh, I mean, I remember getting the phone call from the promoter. I was living in Philly at the time and was sitting in the staircase uh, when I got the cell phone call from the. Mike Tawney, the promoter at the time for IWS Coast, and said, "You know, you're going to go over and win that masses the pain, and uh, you know the quality of guys that I was able to work with. You know, to to go Devin Moore, Danny Havoc, and Masada in three rounds. Uh, you know, if 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 it doesn't go well, that's on me. And you know, that was a, a brutal tournament, a violent tournament, and uh, you know, West Virginia's kind of always been a home away from home. So to win." To Masters of Pain to be my first one was very cool. That's cool, bro. Uh, I want to bring this to 2012, feuding with DJ Hyde. I guess this is kind of your first story-driven story angle in wrestling. Would I be correct? Yeah, for a major promotion, yeah. I mean, hmm. if this – if the if, – you know, when I, when I worked smaller promotions before I got to CZW – I was in, you know, I had a couple short-term programs. I had a long-term program with veterans, so that definitely helped me. Uh, but without this angle at CZW with DJ Hyde in the beginning, 
of you know my time at, at the combat zone uh who knows how my career would have went who knows how my time in ccw would have went um you know it was just it was a an angle that submitted me uh in the the uh the weavings of the combat zone linen uh <laughs> that you know made me a made a made man in front of the eyes of the fans and i could do no wrong because they know i'd be was willing to put my body on the line i paid respect to the old to the old days and the old guys and uh all i was doing was trying to continue that lineage uh that they started absolutely bro that's great um and i will get to a little bit more about this dj hide feud in a minute but i wanted to take a quick sidebar and ask you what it was like having the opportunity to team with new jack uh new jack's the best uh me and devon moore we're, we're his favorite white boys um <laughs> new uh J jack's uh he's a bad man and uh you, you don't want to cross new jack but uh you know i can i can, I can say I've, I've lived and survived the original gangster <laughs> yeah, I uh, had the chance to interview him uh, a few months back, and uh, yeah, he was he was great fun on the show. Um, okay, here it is—the one I want to ask about. It's the eighth of December, twenty twelve, Cage of Death fourteen, winning with a Death Valley driver off the top of the cage through three levels of panes of glass, <laughs> and a stage set up on the outside. Looked like it was—you had to be precise and perfect with this otherwise something real bad could happen but tell me a little bit about that match i mean geez it was it was it was pretty wild but um that final moment hitting that move you got to be precise bro uh, i was i was i was so i was so nervous i was sick to my stomach uh pacing back and forth before i went uh you know out the curtain in the skate zone at that point in time Aside from the cage death the previous year at the arena in Philly, this was the biggest crowd I worked in front of so far. Uh, skate zone was packed. This was a year and a half plus, you know, build, program, blow off, payoff, whatever you want to call it. Uh, uh, match went, you know, as good as it, as it damn did. And uh, very proud of that match. Proud of the story that we told. Um, a, a brutal, uh, physically brutal match. And that last bump will be synonymous with my, you know, myself till, uh, you know, they bury me six feet under. And, you know, we were up on top of that cage and we were only standing on a, a piece of board that was the shape of a triangle yeah. and not very, not very much room at all. And by the time I hooked him for the DVD, uh, I was about to go and DJ, I'll credit him this, said, uh, take one more step. And I did, and we hit it perfect. And I, 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 lo I look back on it if I, didn't, if I didn't listen and not take that extra step, probably could have been impaled on one of those boards that was holding the, the paint. Yeah. So it was, pretty, it was pretty crazy. It was a hell of a bump, uh, and I do it 10 times again. <laughs> cool bro would you say this was the most dangerous spot you've ever done uh at that point in time yes okay so what would you consider the most dangerous spot that you've ever been a part of uh, i don't know if i can pick one i mean that's one uh the following year i was in the cage of death again and i got kicked off the cage by lucky and sick nick mondo and uh 
took the same bump, uh, not the same bump, but uh, I just took a beal off the top of the cage. Right. There yeah. was no box with panes of glass. I, I went through a pane, a board, and I hit the floor and bounced so hard off the floor that I couldn't feel my legs and they had to drag me to the back. Um, so that was pretty wild. Uh, a Michinuko driver off the top of a tractor trailer at IWA yeah. Deep South. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've, I've fallen off so many scaffolds, I've lost count. Um, you know, I, I, I was a fan of big bumps growing up and I, I wanted to take my fair share and, uh, I filled up my big bump car pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine, bro. Uh, so speaking of dangerous spots, you know, was there ever a spot that somebody had in mind an idea that you, it was so dangerous that you turned down or maybe an opponent turned down an idea of a spot that you had? Do you have any stories about that? Uh, I mean, I, I can I'd say don't, I don't think so. Everything that was uh, ever presented to me, you know, I I, I did on my own volition and, uh, you know, I did it and I'm uh, I'm alive to talk about it, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, taking all these bumps obviously has to do a little bit of damage. Uh, what's the worst injury you've ever had in your wrestling career? Man, knock on wood, in my 15 years as an in-ring performer, I uh, never broken a bone. Uh, I'm You know, I, I have a herniated disc in my, in my back. Uh, I have, you know, uh, countless uh, scars, as you can tell, on my forehead. Uh, so just a lot of trips to the hospital for stitches uh, to patch me back up like a goddamn voodoo doll. Um, but, yeah, never broken a bone, knock on wood. <laughs> cool bro that's uh that's amazing um how you know these cage of death uh death matches and these death match tournaments how do you recover after something like this do you need like a week or so to get yourself back together do you need some hard liquor after the show what does matt tremont do to just recover from this craziness um man after, after my early tournaments you know physically by the end of the night, once the adrenaline wears off, you're just, you know, physically and mentally drained, uh, you know, recovery time, you know, day or two, you, you heal up depending on how you're, what your schedule is and, you know, when's the next match. Uh, ne never been a drinker in, in, in my life, so I never, never numbed the pain with any of that. I just kind of just dealt with it and did my thing. Wow. <laughs> That's great stuff, bro. 28th of June, 2014. King of the death match in IWA Mid-South. Uh, there is a uh, no rope barbed wire, panes of glass, barbed wire board, casket and fans bring the weapons match. Matt Tremont defeats Josh Crane. <laughs> uh, and uh, you obviously won the tournament and you went back to back in 2015. Please tell me how it felt to win this, uh, you know, notorious tournament. Uh, the King of the death matches is... Yeah, some synonymous with deathmatch wrestling. You know, it, it was the first one, to my knowledge, in in the U.S. You know, many many years ago in the late nineties, ninety seven or ninety nine, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, watching King of the Deaths growing up and being able to, uh, you know, every king every King of the Death matches I was ever in, I went to the finals. My first one was with me, Simon Says, Drake Younger, and Devin Moore. Uh, and then uh, King of the Death matches, uh, it took a break for a couple of years. And the next one was in 2014. Uh, and, and myself and a young Josh Crane. And I remember we had a hell of a final uh, the following year. 
me and Murdoch a hell of a final. Uh, went in, went, I'm still the only person today, to my knowledge, uh, or, uh, that won back to back. I'm not sure if anybody else did after that. Yeah. Um, and went to three finals in a row. So just, man, had had a lot of quality matches and, and uh, death matches and a lot of tournament uh, memorable moments uh, at IWM itself. Cool, bro. Um, uh, you know, look, I'm just I'm just going from highlight to highlight here. I feel like it's important to do all these back to back in a way. 13th of June, 2015. It's the big one, CZW Tournament of Death 14. Uh, yourself, Josh Crane, Danny Havoc, Connor Claxton. Uh, you, you work with those guys that day. You beat Connor in the final and you become the first Grand Slam champ of death match. In just a few short years, you have become, you know, a, an ultra violent legend. Uh, it's, it's still crazy to hear those things, humbling to hear those things, even, you know, uh, being done in the ring. Um, I, I look back on that T that TOD, uh, first round match. I liked against John, uh, against Josh Crane second round. I never had a bad match with Danny Havoc. We always beat the hell out of each other. Uh, that's what usually happens when you're good friends and, uh, the finals, uh, I don't know, I may have told the story before, but I, I hated the finals with Connor. It wasn't his or I fault, uh, just, uh, just wasn't there. Uh, the, 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 and there was no gimmicks or anything left. We had nothing to use. They set up these two right. side walls and, um, they were just too high. I thought they were going to be a lot lower. So by the time I got out there and we literally only had one light tube log cabin to use, <laughs> uh, you know, we were, we were working up a uphill battle, but at, in the end, uh, you know, I was happy. I think the fans were happy. They, they wanted me to get that. And, uh, you know, that, that meant a lot to me. Uh, you know, so, you know, TOD was the big one because that's the company I was grew up with and, uh, you know, got that under my belt. That's great, bro. Yep, absolutely. And again, another highlight. It's not even a month later. It's just under a month later. The 11th of July, 2015 at CZW New Heights against Black G's. You win your first CZW World Heavyweight Championship. I watched this a few weeks ago and I got goosebumps at the end when you won the World Heavyweight Championship. This must have been just such a, a great moment for you. Uh, pe people forget before I wrestled Black G's, I wrestled Pepper Parks, uh, uh, now, uh, now in AEW. Uh, Butcher and the Blade tag team, and we had a street fight. We had a hell of a fucking match. It was one of uh, it's one of my favorite matches I've I ever had in my career. And then uh, set up the promo post match to set up a title match. Uh, I wrestled. I worked with Black G's probably three or four times earlier in the year, uh, and then when you know made it happen. And you know one two three uh, held the belt that always wanted to hold for the company I always wanted to be in. And, you know, still top three greatest, best accomplishments and, and moments and feelings I ever had. Cool, bro. Yeah, it was an iconic moment for you. And, uh, you know, August 5, 2017, we just, we just, things just keep on happening as the years roll along. Uh, no ropes, barbed wire exploding baseball bat match against, uh, you know, obviously the, the godfather of deathmatch wrestling at Sushi Anita. Yeah. Uh, please tell me a little bit about that and 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 how it felt going into to working with a legend like him. Ah, oh, crazy! Yeah, still to this day doesn't seem real. 
Uh, you know, it seems it all seems like a big dream, and you know that that took uh, it was a lot of work to make that happen. Um, started the Japan is scared uh, campaign to go to Japan. If at that point in time, I accomplished a lot. But uh, my my biggest dream, biggest uh, goal was always to make it to Japan, and that didn't happen yet. And uh, I asked a veteran in this business, uh, you know, what can I do to, you know, make get get the attention of them, and you know, get thing get the ball rolling. And he said, just you know, start calling people out. And if I'm I looked at it, if I'm going to call anybody out, I'm going to go for the big dog, and I'm going to go for. The, the legend, the God himself, Onita, and over the process of, man, months and months and months, and for him to finally, you know, finally reach out and want to do business and to make that happen when ECW couldn't make it happen and XPW couldn't make it happen, uh, you know, do I wish the explosions were different? Of course, uh, but, I, you know, people in charge, you know, didn't do their job. Um, that was out of my hands. I just had to show up and wrestle. And I did after being in the hospital for almost two weeks and I was on my deathbed. Uh, but I, I would have uh, signed myself out and I wasn't missing that match for anything. Once in a lifetime it was. And, uh, you know, still to this day, I can say I talked to Onita and, you know, here and there and wishes me happy birthday. So uh, <laughs> all, all in all pretty cool and uh, worked out all right. <laughs> unbelievable yeah that's great stuff man uh so again uh, i wanted to bring this one up because i found this to be so interesting i wanted to get your your thoughts on it it's the 25th of october 2019 at a show called icw return to the concrete jungle yourself and nick gage wrestle against the powers of pain barbarian and warlord uh <laughs> this is this is a tag team match that i never thought would have ever been booked but it happened Could, do you have a story of this experience uh over my career i had i definitely had matches where i'm like uh is this real is this happening <laughs> and uh you know and sometimes they're, they're the most fun and you know anytime i would work for uh, said promotion would be uh, you know, always a different kind of matchup I wouldn't have elsewhere. And when this one was presented to me, I was like, never in a million years would I thought I'd be wrestling the powers of pain. Uh, my first WWF VHS was WrestleMania 5 from Atlantic City, where I, I lit, grew up, <laughs> and powers of pain are on that goddamn tape. And I wrestled them <laughs> years later. So, uh, very nice guys, uh, gentlemen, uh, you know, veterans of the business. Uh, I had a lot of fun, um, you know. Another thing under the belt, I said I wrestled the powers of pain. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it is pretty cool. Good notch to have on the belt. Um, so you end up losing the CZW World Heavyweight Championship to Joe Gacy. Uh, and from there, um, you know, I mean, that, that comes, you know, the reign comes to an end. But, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, at this point in time, late 2019, how are you feeling about your career at that point? And, you know, what point were you starting to think I'm gonna I gotta start thinking about winding this thing down? Uh, there was I was very I was very proud of my CZW run, uh, 399 days if I remember right. Um, you know, I, I looked at myself when I was champion, like I was the NWA world champion, and I defended the title everywhere, uh, represented the promotion well, uh, you know, and just acted like a, a damn professional as you should. Uh, there's a few times over my career, uh, you know, I slowed down 
you know, I wound up opening a retail store, started a, my own promotion and uh, had just had things going on because I knew I could, you know, use my name value I build up with the rapport with my peers and the fans in the business and, you know, jump into other different avenues to create some revenue, not with, without, with me just not killing my body. And, you know, that would take some time away from, you know, in ring stuff. But for a long time, I juggled so much at once uh, and, and did it, you know, with, with no problem because I've never worked, never looked at any of this as work. I'm just doing, I'm doing something I truly enjoy to do, whether it was in-ring wrestling, uh, promoting wrestling, booking wrestling, running a wrestling collectible store. Um, you know, I just uh, had my, had my hand in a lot of different hats and, retirement never retirement never crossed my mind until late or you know fall 2000 uh you know 20 last year uh not even in 2019 that i even you know fathom retiring all right um so you ended up working in japan is that correct yes twice excellent um so you know being over there and working uh you know i want to know if you could just tell of the difference between American and Japanese deathmatch wrestling and also how the fans react to a deathmatch. Uh, there's a great deal of respect in Japan. They look at it as a legitimate sport, and that's because of the uh, passion and the, in the fighters and the time and effort that they put in to hone their craft and, and so much more. But uh, just the, the respect for the business overall and how they conduct business and how everything uh, is portrayed. And it's just respect goes a long way in the business. And in Japan, you know, it, it's the it's probably it's just as popular as baseball over there. And so the top two things are baseball and wrestling. And, you know, especially the deathmatch wrestling, you know, seeing these guys put their body on the line, uh, they just, it's an even greater respect that they have for these guys. And every time I, both times I went to Japan on both tours, uh, when I always came home, I just wished that America was like Japan and just the respect is there. Everything is better uh, there, in my opinion. The uh, business is better. Uh, they, they, you know, treat, treat each other like, you know, human beings uh, and, you know, not uh, people that just are, you know, making other people money and, you know, just a great, great respect for people in Japan um, that my, my greatest times in this business were my bo both tours over there. Uh, my first, you know, working with Onita. And then the second time was with uh, the tour I did with GCW. And I wrestled in Kurrigan Hall uh, for Freedoms and BJW. Uh, you know, I, if I, I would have died, if I died the next day when I got off the plane uh, from Japan, I would have died with a smile on my face, as I said. And because uh, that, that was why I did all this. And I can stare at my Ribera jacket that hangs on my wall in front of me uh, very, you know, proudly because that's all I wanted and I earned it. And when you earn it and do things the right way, nobody can take nothing away from you. Absolutely, bro. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's like one of those, it was one of those last, you know, big bucket list things as, as, aside from, you know, championships and deathmatch tournament victories and all that working in Japan obviously meant a lot to you. So happy to hear that you had that experience and you look back on it fondly. Um, Another moment, I, I suppose you must look back on fondly, 
30th of October 2020 at H2O, the last extravaganza weekend in Williamstown, New Jersey. Uh, no rope barbed wire, 200 light tubes death match. Ricky Shane Page defeats you in 21 minutes, 36 seconds. Uh, why, why this show? Why is Ricky Shane Page the right guy for the last match? And uh, please tell me, you know, how it felt once it was over and how you kind of wound down after the match and, you know, came to terms with the fact that you were now no longer going to be uh, an active wrestler. Um, you know, I've been, I've been, it's been almost six months now. Uh, I've been retired uh, on a mischief night of last year. And I didn't even start thinking about retirement until uh late august all right <laughs> didn't even cross my mind uh a lot of reasoning went into that decision uh and on september 6th uh in the evening time uh came to that decision and i would announce it the next day on social media i didn't talk to my wife uh because i knew she would not be happy and <laughs> and i knew once i put it out there to the world there was no uh, taking it back. Yeah. And that's how she found out when she read on Facebook. And, you know, I was uh, content with my decision, comfortable with my decision. And I knew it was, you know, about to start the next chapter of life. Uh, you know, that whole weekend was to pay tribute to my friend that passed, uh, to all of our friends that passed, uh, Danny Havoc. Uh, was close to many of us and uh, meant uh, so much uh, for so many different reasons to so many different people. And, you know, I knew this was the show to say goodbye on uh, as we say goodbye to my friend. And I wanted to wrestle Ricky because during the pandemic early on, uh, I watched our finals that we had in, in t Tournament of Death years ago. And... You know, I'm very fond of that match. I'm very proud of that match. Uh, that, that entire TOD, I, I, my body of work was, I think, some of my best. And I wanted to work with Ricky once more. And just the personal connection that he had with Danny Havoc and that I had with Danny Havoc. Mm -hmm. if, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Danny Havoc, who knows where either of our careers would have went. And uh, art imitates life uh, many times. And I like to blend both worlds and tell stories. And on my way out in those last two months, in those 12, 13 matches that I had, I thought I had some of my best matches that I ever had. And I told my greatest story that I could ever tell uh, on my last match. It went perfect. I wouldn't change a damn thing. And uh, it couldn't have went any better. And, you know, just a, a perspective on it as well uh, that I tell now my students that I teach uh, every week. Um, you know, in a business and in a, a day and age of the business where a lot of attention is on the moves in the ring and hitting uh, those moves in the ring. Uh, you know, I hit one move in that in my last match. I hit a Samoan drop uh, at some point and in an act of desperation after just selling. And it, uh, and it won an IWTV Match of the Year Award, which, you know, to me, that stuff I, I appreciate in the world of the work outside of it you know to me that you know I, I don't walk around thinking i'm the i'm the bulldozer you know that, that's it's not real 
Yeah. Um, in in that world, you know, it's it's greatly appreciated for to be recognized for that. And I use it as a, an example in teaching my students. Uh, it's not always all about the moves. Um, and I, I hit one move. That move was selling. That move was story. That move was emotion. And uh, you know, one day the, uh, the the not the truth, but for lack of a better word, uh, but the the entire true story will come out uh, because in in my uh, retirement speech post-match. I said, I, uh, I didn't want to retire, but I have to. And that story will be told, uh, you know, in, in years to come. Fair enough, bro. Um, but I'm happy to hear that you're really proud of how you exited pro wrestling as an active competitor. Um, it's always good to know that somebody doesn't regret the way that they went out and that it ended on a perfect note. Um, so uh, now looking back on your career, is there somebody that you would have liked to have worked an angle or a, or, or a death match with? Uh, I mean, as far as death match guys, I've wrestled. I was lucky enough. I, I filled a void at a time where it needed to be filled. And, you know, I wrestled everybody I ever wanted to wrestle in the genre. If there was anybody I, I wanted to work but didn't have the opportunity to, it'd be some like old school guys like Jerry Lawler or Tommy Rich uh, or, uh, you know, Doug, Doug and Eddie Gilbert, you know, guys like that, um, you know, but I was fortunate enough to work pretty much everybody I ever wanted to work with. Awesome, bro. Um, so I wanted to ask uh, if you – if you have any stories of, of, of like young guys, maybe some delusional people that are trying to get into CZW or IWA or anywhere that has deathmatch style wrestling. And then when it came time to do it, they realized that they were out of their depth. Do you have any like kind of stories about that? I mean, aside from David Arquette, but uh, anyone else uh, that, that you know of that uh, <laughs> freaked out a little? Yeah. Uh... <sighs> never with myself uh did i have a match where it went on and you realize the person shouldn't be in there doing what they're doing <laughs> i don't have any any recollection of any moments like that i've had right. a couple matches where i had to light somebody up to calm them down because they were a little too excited because they were in right. a match with a with a, a death match guy yeah because uh, <laughs> they think they can't work but i, I would run circles around them uh <laughs> You know, would hear things, you know, per se over time, uh, you know, but a lot of those things where you'd, you'd hear and see and happen with other guys never happened with me because I never went in there uh, with the intention of getting my shit in, as they say, and, uh, you know, uh, doing just doing everything under the sun. Uh, like I said, I hit one move on my way out and I was happy with that. I just wanted to tell good stories and, you know, didn't have any trouble with anybody over the years. And, uh, you know, I did my thing. <laughs> cool, bro. Yeah. Um, no, that's great. Uh, so I wanted to ask a couple of random questions. One is who is a wrestler or, you know, a performer in professional wrestling that you are a fan of that might surprise other people? Like, would there ever be a sentence where somebody said, oh, yeah, Matt Tremont is a huge fan of the model Rick Martel? <laughs> uh this is, that's a fantastic question um i'm gonna have to think for a second pardon me for a second let me think um kind of somebody that out of who's out of pocket uh 
man, I really, I don't know if it, this could be, but I love Bull Nakano and, uh, uh, you know, Japanese women's wrestling and Bull Nakano is my favorite of all time. Beautiful woman. Yeah, she's awesome, man. Big fan of hers. Um, okay, I need your opinion on this because it happened a few weeks ago, but uh, I got to ask, you know, a, a deathmatch legend, what what they thought of AEW's attempt at an exploding barbed wire deathmatch. I thought the match and the story was fantastic uh, between Omega and Moxley. Um and the earlier presentation of the explosions uh, for not being, for not, you know, having and being what Onita and having the technology to do the real shit and the yeah. real explosions, they, um, the earlier in the match explosions, they, they weren't bad at all. Uh, I thought they were presentable. And, the, but in the wrestling business, uh, everyone, all they remember is the finish. Uh, and mm. the time bomb gimmick at the end, you know, obviously the presentation of it wasn't, uh, you know, probably what they were looking for. Uh, and, you know, Kingston and Moxley, you know, still sticking to what the story they were telling and, you know, dedicating themselves to it. Uh, you know, I applaud that and respect that. Um, you know, at the end of the day, did they wish it was probably bigger? I, I would, I would think and hope so. You know, I, I think they did their best. Uh, and I, I guess I'll put it like this where, with uh, when Onita was here for CZW and post match, he goes, Jape, Jape. <laughs> um, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about Hardcore Hustle organization. Um, you know, this is your this is your baby now. This is what you're doing. Um, please let everyone out there know what it's all about and you know, how it came to be and what your hopes are for the future of the company. Uh, yeah, tw 2016, I launched the promotion uh, myself and Danny Havoc were very hands-on with the creative and all that, all that good jargon and launched H2O because I was involved with other promotions, but at the end of the day, what they, it wasn't my vision or, you know, as you said, my baby, and, you know, that's why I really wanted to do it. Started it just to have fun with my friends. Uh, and my friends just happened to be, you know, very talented people. And, you know, we've been, H2O has been running since June of 2016. We're coming up on our five-year anniversary show this June. Um, and, you know, the same effort, time effort that I put into my own career now that being retired, I have the time to put that same time and effort uh, into the daily day-to-day -day logistics of running the promotion as a business, as a, a wrestling product, booking, uh, running the school, talent development, uh, all that stuff. 24-7, I wake up, it's H2O. When I go to bed, it's H2O. Um, I am, you know, uh, what they say when you break into the business that you want to get out of your bubble and travel and learn, uh, after all these years, I just want to be in my bubble and be left alone. Uh, I'm happy. I'm happy in my bubble. Um, you know, sometimes my only human interaction during the week is when I see my students come, uh, come through to the building and train and I'm fine with that. I'm good. Uh, you know, the again the same time and effort I put into my own career I put into here, 
those students, I have 53 students that have signed up over the course of, you know, two, two little over two years, the school's been open and they're thriving right now and they're doing things the right way and they're earning everything that they get and they're excelling in every exceeding every, any expectation that's ever been thought of. And, you know, for the first time in the five years we've been running, uh, we're really now starting to gain some traction. And, you know, one of the big reasons I retired was, you know, to put more time and effort into the company. And I have it now. And it's, you know, again, it's showing off, uh, seeing numbers go up, seeing views go up, business uh, money, all, all, just every aspect of the company right now is in a growth period. Uh, our, our product is, you know, right now the best it's ever been. Uh, while it's always been good and solid, uh, again, that extra time and effort uh, and attention to detail and to story. And I think that's what's, honestly, that's that's the one thing that I think people are really noticing that we're doing uh, is that we scaled back the violence and instead of more hardcore than deathmatch, but giving everything that we're doing purpose and, and having perspective and making it mean something. I like story. I like characters. That's the wrestling that, I, that drove me to, uh, you know, emotionally invest. And now in this time and doing that um in after 15 years the only thing that i want to do is just continue to tell stories like i did in the ring and now i can do that as a as a booker as a promoter and i live vicariously through my students and my main roster guys the the story that i write on a piece of paper they bring to life uh in the product or in the middle of the ring and right now i, I would put our product up against anybody's uh um our to me, H2O is the closest thing to ECW, I think, in my heart, uh, where the, we truly are the land of the misfit toys. There's guys here that wouldn't ever get a shot elsewhere, but are thriving right now. Guys like Jimmy Chondo, Lion, people laughed at a couple of years ago, uh, but is having some of the best matches of his career right now. Uh, you know, very proud of him. Does a lot of work behind the scenes as well. All those DVDs you see on Smartmark, he's the one editing and producing. Um, you know, everything is in house at H2O, um, except the, you know, when IWTV comes to, uh, come to the building to, to stream us and go live, but they've become a part of, uh, you know, the H2O family in the last six months, uh, you know, and getting that distribution on that platform has been huge for us, uh, being on IWTV and, you know, in the world of streaming and, you know, ever getting everything instantaneously and physical media dying, uh, you know, thank God there's IWTV and I, I thank them every month that we, uh, you know, that they're here and, and taking the time out of the, of their busy day, um, you know, to, to, you know, give us that platform. Uh, if, you know, last month we had a show called bad luck and I think it was our best top to bottom show that we've had, uh, as a booker, best, best card I've booked and flow of a card so far. Um, but then again, that's because of the people in the ring doing the work. Uh, I now accent them. Uh, if I can help translate and tell uh, any stories, it's in a promo. Um, but the guys I'm in the ring are the ones doing the real work. And again, I'm anything I've been able to do in the business for all these years as a wrestler now as promoter and running H2O is because we just did good, honest business. I have a good, a great rapport with my peers, a good, a great rapport with the fans. And it's because I've never, 
bait and switched them, lied to them. Open and honest business goes a long way uh, in a saturated business that is, that is pro wrestling. But we are still riding in the uh, COVID-19 pandemic era of wrestling. Yeah. And while it has, you know, obviously sucked and people, you know, have been, you know, have suffered by it. In, in wrestling, at least on the independent scene in the United States, there's only been a handful of companies running for X amount of time now. And it has been a blessing in disguise, uh, this, this pandemic, uh, for, you know, at least business-wise for us, because there's only a few games in town running and people that weren't giving us a chance a year ago uh, were, were able to give us a chance. And, you know, you, I see that in the numbers. And it's just, it's very rewarding. It's very fulfilling. Uh, now at this time, uh, you see the growth after all the hard work uh, that we've been putting in, not just myself, everybody behind the scenes, all the students. Um, it, is, it is a very, you know, this is the first platform I've had to speak on in, in some time, because uh, just in the last couple of weeks, and I'm I just I'm glad I get to you know open up about it because it's it's been it's fresh in my mind every day that the this it's, it the the adage is thrown out there a lot that you know oh we're in wrestling and other places where they're a family and this and that but they're not it's all politics and, and BS elsewhere but we really are a family here you know uh, you know the wife's helping I'm you know I'm doing my thing my students are doing their thing. Uh, is everyone's helping each other. You, you got to be an unselfish person to work at H2O. Uh, and you, and you got to be a good person. I don't give it. I don't give a hell if you're the most talented person in the business. If you're an asshole, you ain't working here. Uh, it's yeah. a tight knit locker room. It's a tight knit community. And, you know, we're all here to better each other and it's really showing in the product. And as long as everybody is create, create an atmosphere so that everyone is in a working environment that they're thriving and enjoying themselves and doing what they love to do. And it's going to show in the ring. Um, and I think it really hasn't has resonated in the last couple of months. Um, if you haven't jumped on board yet, please, you know, uh, hop on, the H2O train just because, and, and only because uh, the quality of content and story we are going to tell you, um, you know, there's uh, there's another death match guy. I wouldn't say, I don't want to, I, I hate to even, I, that better, for lack of a better word, uh, that came back on Halloween uh, to this company and has been uh, very influential and in, in his time and effort that he's put in. And I could go, I could go on and on and on, but uh, it's a it's a it's a special time right now. Uh, it's a create the everyone everyone's being so creative in the company right now. The students and I'm very open to input and and ideas from everyone, and it's just flowing. And I just I I love it in this building. I I rarely I'm I'm, I'm here every day uh, till wee hours of the morning. Uh, promoting or uh, building something in the arena or just sweeping. Uh, up. And, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. Uh, at 32 years old now, uh, I have more perspective and my, I'm seeing clearly more than, more than ever than ever in my entire life. And it's uh, a, a blessing to, for me because, and it's like that because of the people that I've met in wrestling and what wrestling has given to me in a business that owes you nothing has given me so much in return. Awesome, bro. It's great to hear that you're so 
pumped up about how things are going with your company. And uh, I like hearing that this is, you know, success stories going on in the professional wrestling business and uh, can't wait to see where things go in the future for you and your company. Um, so for people out there that have watched this interview, haven't given it an opportunity yet or given H2O a look, please tell them where they can find it and plug all the things that you need to plug um, and to help get the name out there. H2O, Facebook, Twitter, social media, Instagram. Uh, we are on IWTV. Subscribe. It's 10 bucks a month. Uh, you get everything on there. Uh, independentwrestling.tv. Um, we are, and if our next big show, every show is our biggest show now. You know, we're at that point in the company, which is, is awesome. And it just, we're all having fun and enjoying it. Uh, April 17th, H2O Misery Business, uh, live on IWTV at 8 p.m. That's all I need the world to do is tune in to that show. And what is planned to take place at this event, um, let's just say, even in, even in being retired, I will still sacrifice myself for the betterment of uh, H2O. Awesome, bro. That's great. Um, okay, Matt, we're coming to this segment now. The final segment of the show is called Five Second Frenzy. It's about 10 or 11 quick fire questions on things that you like in life. Uh, few about wrestling, and it always begins with who is your favorite wrestler? Oh, man, Kevin mm. Sullivan. Awesome. Favorite opponent over the years? Oh, Uh, Danny Havoc. Uh, the favorite match you've ever had? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I would say Kevin Sullivan because he's fresh on my mind. <laughs> uh, the favorite book you've ever read? Oh, um, just just got done reading Jared King Lawler's book that came out years ago. So that's the, I'm not a big uh, book reader, but that's the most relevant and recent one I've uh, read. <laughs> <laughs> cool, bro. I've read that one too. Uh, your favorite TV show? Oh, Married with Children. <laughs> Great decision. They're great choice. Uh, favorite film? Oh, The Crow. Nice, nice. Favorite musical artist? <laughs> Stevie Nicks. <laughs> didn't expect that one that's awesome <laughs> favorite food uh, uh pizza <laughs> yeah, we get pizza a lot on the show uh favorite place to eat on the road uh sheets <laughs> <laughs> nice uh you, you said you don't, you're not much of a drink or you, you've never really been a drinker. Uh, so this is usually favorite alcoholic beverage, but what's just your favorite beverage in general? Uh, any kind of iced tea or fruit punch. I'm, I'll drink it. <laughs> Very nice. Second last one, Matt, the most naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy, your favorite female body part? Uh, legs. Very nice. And the last one, Matt Tremont, is what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> Motherfucker. 
<laughs> Very good. Well, Matt, I just want to thank you so much for your time here tonight. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I just hope that, um, well, I mean, I, I don't hope because I know that you are very proud of everything you've accomplished in the wrestling business and you're doing great things now. You're helping a lot of young guys get out there and, and, and fulfill their dreams. So I just wanted to say from the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, I appreciate what you're doing, my friend. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the platform to uh, talk shop with you. Thank you. Thanks, brother. And thank you, everyone out there for watching here, the Insider's Edge podcast on the WZWA Network. I am your host with the most, California Fury, alongside Matt Tremont, and we will see you next time. Thank you.